0: All right, would you take the Word of God this evening with me and turn in your Bibles to the book of Exodus and chapter 22. Exodus and chapter 22, we're going to begin reading in just a moment. I've repeated this, but there are three categories that are included in the book of Exodus, uh, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, whereby we divide the law. There are... uh, There is the moral law. Uh, You might say the Ten Commandments. There is the judicial or the civil law. These are called the judgments of God. And uh, those deal with the social um, relationships within the nation of Israel under a theocracy. And so God, they operate under God. God's spokesman was Moses. And Moses appointed judges to judge the people. Uh, in the nation of Israel. And the judgments are there to give judges the ability to discern, the ability to um, bring about a fit punishment for those who commit crimes in the nation of Israel. And then we have the ceremonial law, which we'll see in Exodus chapter 25, and that deals with the religious life of the nation of Israel. Now these judgments, as I've said, are given as a reference point to those who would stand as judges among the children of Israel, and it is not possible, as we look at those scenarios that he puts forth, it is not possible to list every single different scenario that those judges would face. Uh, They are given as a framework by which the judges are to operate and some principles that are to be upheld in the nation of Israel, we come now to chapter twenty-two, and we spend uh, the last few weeks looking at Exodus chapter twenty-one. And now we come to chapter twenty-two, and we enter the subject of stealing. Uh, we saw that one of the ten commandments. If you go back to chapter twenty and verse fifteen, the commandment was, "Thou shalt not steal." And remember, I said that this, uh, the moral law that was given by God, there ought to be an understanding in all of our minds that this is just a heading for many other violations of this commandment. And so basically, thou shalt not steal covers a family of sins. It's not just one sin, but it covers a family of sins. And also we understand that stealing is much more uh, prevalent. It is uh, expressed in much more variations than on the onset we think about. And here we're going to look at some of those variations in chapter uh, 22. And so let's begin reading in Exodus chapter 22 and verse 1. Exodus chapter 22 and verse 1. And the Word of God says, If a man shall steal an ox or a sheep and kill it, or sell it. He shall restore restore 5 oxen for an ox and 4 sheep for a sheep. If a thief be found breaking up and be smitten that he die, there shall no blood be shed for him. If the sun be risen upon him, there shall be blood shed for him, for he should make full restitution. If he have nothing, then he shall be sold for his theft. If the theft be certainly found in his hand alive, whether it be ox or ass or sheep, he shall restore double. If a man shall cause a field or vineyard to be eaten and shall put in his beast and shall feed in another man's field or the best of his own field uh, of the best of his own field and of the best of his own vineyard, shall he make restitution? If fire break out and catch in thorns, so that the stacks of corn or the standing corn or the field be consumed therewith, he that kindle the fire shall surely make restitution. If a man shall deliver unto his neighbor money or stuff to keep, and it be stolen out of the man's house, if the thief be found, let him pay double. If the thief be not found, then the master of the house shall be brought unto the judges to see whether... He hath put his hand unto his neighbor's goods. For all manner of trespass, whether it be for ox, for ass, for sheep, for raiment, or for any manner of lost thing, which another challengeth to be his, the cause of both parties shall come before the judges, and whom the judges shall condemn, he shall pay double unto his neighbor." If a man deliver unto his neighbor an ass, or an ox, or a sheep, or any beast to keep, and it die, or be hurt, or driven away, no man seeing it, then shall an oath of the Lord be between them both. He that hath not put his hand unto his neighbor's goods, and the owner of it shall accept thereof, he shall not make it good. And if it be stolen from him, he shall make restitution unto the owners thereof, If it be torn in pieces, then let him bring it for for witness, and he shall not make good that which was torn. And if a man borrow aught of his neighbor, and it be hurt or die, the owner thereof being not with it, he shall surely make it good. But if the owner uh, thereof be with it, he shall not make it good, if it be an hired thing. It came for his hire." All right, I'd like to preach this evening a message that I've entitled Stealing in More Ways Than One. Stealing in More Ways Than One. I'd like to put a reminder before us uh, when we covered the commandment, Thou shalt not steal. If you remember, there are two principles with the commandment, Thou shalt not steal. The first one was that The punishment for stealing in proportion to the stealing act would leave the transgressor in a worse state than before the crime was committed. In other words, we find this principle uh, not only here in the book of Exodus in chapter 22, you also find this in Leviticus chapter 6. That the consequences for stealing is not equal for equal. In other words, back in chapter twenty-one, we talked about eye for eye, tooth for tooth, foot for foot. But when it comes to that's when it comes to harm and striking and hatred. But when it comes to stealing, the restitution is to be greater than the actual uh, cost of the item, whether it is an ox or a, uh, a possession that the restitution of that is to be greater than what was stolen. So, back in chapter 21, we we've talked talked about smiting a neighbor that he die, then you lose your life. That's uh, equal restitution, if you would. Uh, We talked about harm and striking his neighbor. If uh, one loses eye, then it's an eye for eye and tooth for tooth and so on. And so, the restitution in chapter 21 is equal, but in chapter 22... It's not equal, but we're entering into a different subject, and that's the subject of stealing. Uh, and so we notice that in proportion to the punishment for stealing, it would leave the transgressor in the worse state than before the crime was committed. But there's a second principle that we find, and that is that all stealing is stealing. But not all stealing was equal in punishment. And, and we find this again here in Exodus chapter 22. Now, let me remind us, because there are variations within stealing, and I covered this last time. If you hold your place here and turn with me to the book of Leviticus in chapter 6. Right after Exodus, we have the book of Leviticus, and let's go to chapter 6. And I want to show you in in chapter 6 the different variations that we find about stealing. Now, this is a reminder I already covered those things. But notice in Leviticus chapter 6 and verse 1. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, If a soul sin, and commit a trespass against the Lord, and lie unto his neighbor in that which was delivered him to keep, or in fellowship, or in a thing taken away by violence, or hath deceived his neighbor, or hath found that which was lost, and lieth concerning it, and sweareth falsely in any of all these that a man doeth sinning therein, then it shall be, because he hath sinned, and is guilty that he shall restore that which he took violently away or the thing which he hath deceitfully gotten or that which was delivered him to keep or the lost thing which was found. So notice here we have the variations of stealing. And so the first one in chapter, notice verse four, he summarizes the four variations. The first one he mentions, he took violently away. Uh, so this is the act of um, We think of uh, taking what rightfully belongs to somebody else, that's stealing. And within that act, there are ways in which people steal. Uh, The first one is blatant stealing. Here he says, someone who takes something violently away. That's without the will or sometimes without the knowledge of the owner privately and secretly or by force. He takes something violently away blatant stealing. We might equate it today to uh, an elderly lady walking down the sidewalk and a young man running past her and grabbing her purse violently, uh, throwing her to the floor and then running off with it. That would be fit within this category. He took something violently away. That's one case of, and I'll call it blatant stealing. There's another category in verse four, he says, "He hath deceitfully gotten, and that is deceitful stealing. Uh, that is uh, someone who might cheat somebody else in trade or commerce or who might defraud somebody else in business or someone who might extort somebody's money. Uh, and so that's done through deception. It's not out in the open. It's not violently. It's, it's done deceitfully. But it, nonetheless, it's still stealing. Just because nobody knows you're stealing doesn't mean it's not stealing. It's deceitful. There's a third category, and that is opportunity stealing. He says in verse 4, that which was delivered for him to keep. And so this is the idea that someone brings his possessions into the care of somebody else. And he says, would you keep this for me for a certain amount of time? And what happens is that the person who's been entrusted with the other man's possession is unfaithful in what was committed to his trust. And so the opportunity presented itself, and so he stole it. He didn't violently take it. He, didn't, he wasn't deceitful about it, trying to get something from him. But now that the possessions are before him, he wishes he had them, and so he takes the opportunity to steal. That's opportunity stealing. You know, I think it's... Uh, you might... Uh, I remember... Uh, uh, okay, it'll be a confession of sin. My parents had, uh, in the kitchen, they had a little area there, um, where they had cash, chains, that they would keep in little purse on the counter. And uh, they would send us in France to the corner, they call them, uh, it was a um, pastry shop, but where we get bread and sometimes we'd go there every day. And so that was change. And we were supposed to take that money and then go uh, to the pastry shop, get the baguettes, and then, they were so good by the way, and then bring them back and then put the change back in the purse. And I'm ashamed to say that uh, that was opportunity stealing when I took money that I knew was there, which was only to be used for baguettes, that I took advantage of that. Opportunity stealing. Now, some of you are already thinking, did you get caught? Yes, I got caught sometimes. Yes. When I got caught, there were consequences. And when I didn't get caught, well, don't, just don't tell my dad, okay? That's opportunity stealing right? The, the temptation I remember was, well, here's the money. I wasn't planning on it before I saw the money, but now that I see it, now I'm going to take that opportunity. So somebody may not have the intent, right? The premeditation, but the opportunity presents itself and they take something that's not theirs. And there's a fourth category, and that is what I refer to as quiet stealing. He mentions in verse four, the lost thing which he found. <laughs> and so that's the idea that this is when somebody comes to you and say, hey, did you find this? and you deny that you found it and that it's in your possession. Quiet stealing. So he says, all of these, they're all stealing. Blatant stealing, deceitful stealing, opportunity stealing, and quiet stealing. And so stealing, we mentioned, is first of all the act of taking what rightfully belongs to somebody else. But then there is also stealing is the act of withholding something from someone to whom it rightfully belongs to. that is also stealing. And then we also mentioned that stealing is the act of surrendering what is not ours to surrender. And we gave some example with that uh, as far as the New Testament is concerned. by the way, that's why for example, in the book of Malachi when God says, "Ye have robbed me and they say, "Wherein have we robbed these it says, Because you failed to bring the tithes and the offerings, and they've robbed God. What is that? They didn't physically take money from God. They did not bring what rightfully belonged to God. And so God says that's stealing. Withholding from someone what rightfully belongs to them. So there's more ways to steal than just one. And we have to ask ourselves in our lives, have we done that? So let's go back to Exodus chapter 22. And I want to just, as I did last week, uh, this may be laborious, but again, we're going through every verse, and I want us to see, again, this is a reflection on the character of God, and I've been asking myself through those judgments, God, how does this reflect your character? We do not operate today under the theocracy as the children of Israel did, right? We're not there. But yet, these judgments do reveal something about God that we have to be concerned about. And uh, we have to take this uh, passage and say, okay, God, uh, what does that mean? How can I apply these truths about God and by what I learn about God to my own life so that I am not a thief? So let's look at the verses. Verse 1, he says, if a man shall steal an ox or a sheep and kill it or sell it, he shall restore five oxen for an ox and four sheep for a sheep. And so here's the here's the main judgment that there is going to be if there's an act of stealing whatever that he uses an ox or a sheep here but it could also be a possession that if that happens then there must be restitution for an ox he said it'll be fivefold for a sheep it would be fourfold so four times. Now it's interesting here he does mention here it's important for the subsequent verses that he says that if a man steal an ox or a sheep and kill it, that means it no longer has life. That means that it cannot be returned to the owner. Then there is going to be a five-fold penalty for the ox and a four-fold penalty for the sheep. And, and when we pause here, we, we ask the question, okay, why such a severe restitution for someone who has stolen And I think when we think about life, it's important for us to understand that everything that we have does not belong to us. It belongs to God. We, as I mentioned this morning in Sunday school, we are stewards of what God has entrusted to us. So understand really the extent of stealing if our thinking is to be correct is if I am stealing from somebody else, I am stealing what belongs to God. That what God has entrusted to that person, I am stealing what God has given them. And I believe it must be mine. That God should entrust it to my care. And that I'm going to take it by force, or take it deceitfully, or take, take it by opportunity. And so I believe that God is greatly displeased about stealing because when we think about stewardship... Uh, The idea that someone would steal from another man is the idea that someone is not content with what they have, they're not content with what God has given them, then they must have what somebody else has. And when they gain that, then they would be content. And by the way, they are never holding themselves to the same standard. In other words, the man who steals an ox from another man, he himself would be upset if somebody stole from him. But yet he is completely—he he has completely disregard for his fellow man that he holds himself to a different standard, and so stealing is quite a serious thing. But he's going to put forth some scenarios to build on after that, and so in proportion the punishment. For stealing would leave the transgressor here in a worse state than before the crime was committed. By the way, that's when, uh, you remember, when David was confronted by Nathan the prophet, he gave them the story of uh, the poor man who just had one little lamb. And the rich man who had flocks and herds, he went to the poor man and he took his little lamb and then fed it to a guest that came into his house. And you remember what David said, he said this, he said... uh, The man, this man, shall surely die and shall repay fourfold. Now, in that case, it's interesting that David went beyond the law. Right? He said that man was going to die and pay fourfold. Well, he probably should have done the reversed. Because you can't pay for a fool unless he die uh, if he's dead. And so he ought to pay for a fool and die. Maybe that's the order. But by the way, it shows the inconsistency often in our own lives. Because then Nathan told David, he says, you're the man. You're, you're the one that did that. And now David finds that his judgment that he pronounced has been grossly exaggerated. And obviously now as he looks on himself, he doesn't think that he needs that severe of a judgment. But the point is, that's where David got it from. He will repay fourfold. That was based on the law. He just added something. Uh, and, And by the way, it's often when somebody themselves is not right with God, often when you're not right with God and you judge somebody else, you always judge them disproportionately. There's just something about us not being right with God that we do not exercise the right judgment towards somebody else as we ought. By the way, we, we are to judge. I know the society we live in is don't judge, but we are to judge, the Bible says, righteous judgment. The in, that's the instruction for us. Why? Because the tendency of, for us is to be unfair in our treatments, in our judgment of other people around us. And so we ought to judge righteous judgment. And so now more scenarios are now being considered. That's the, the main scenario. Here you steal the 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 restitution is fivefold or fourfold depending on the case. And by the way, uh, an ox would be fourfold because it died because an ox is a working element, and so it uh, benefits greatly the farmer. Uh, The sheep benefits as well, but doesn't have the strength and the stamina and the the work of the ox. And so uh, there is to be more consequences to be paid uh, for the ox because the ox in the farm at that time had greater value than a sheep. So greater consequence. Verse 2, he goes on and he says, If a thief be found breaking up and be smitten that he die, there shall no blood be shed for him. So here, here's another scenario that he presents. That the expression here, by the way, breaking up, simply means a burglary or um, somebody that's searching through things secretly, right? In the dead of night. That, that's the idea. He says, If a thief in the dead of night, in secrecy, is burglarizing somebody else, and let's say the owner... In the night, he can't see. By the way, they didn't have lights and alarms and cameras then. Uh, it was intense. You know, you can't see the man. But if you strike the man who is stealing from you, then you are innocent. He says, you, you will not, the judgment in chapter 21 that says life for life will not apply to you. Why? Because it is the thief that has put you in that position. Correct? It's the thief that put the owner in that position. And so if a peradventure it happens that as he strikes him, by the way, he uses the word strike. He doesn't use the word kill him because his intent is not to kill. But if he defi- defends his property, strikes him that he died, then his blood is not on him. Now, notice he builds on this scenario in verse 3. And notice what he says in verse 3. If the sun be risen upon him. So here's a stipulation. There shall be bloodshed for him, for he should make full restitution. If he have nothing, then he shall be sold for his theft. And so here he says, now, the first scenario was in the dead of night, in secrecy. And he's stricken by the owner, and the owner didn't see exactly who he was. Now, if it's in the middle of the day, that's a different standard. And if you strike a man while it's in the middle of the day when you see him and you know who he is and you recognize him and you strike him that he die, then you will pay a punishment. You say, well, what's the difference? Well, if the burglary, remember, happened in the dark of night, that's one thing. If the theft took place during the day, meaning that the perpetrator could be identified. And secondly that later that perpetrator could be apprehended. Then, that you are not to take it upon yourself to kill the man. Why? Because restitution in that case can be made if you know the man. In other words, if you don't know who he is, you you can't ask for restitution. You can't bring the man to the judges. You don't know who he is. You don't know even in the dead of night what his intent is. It's completely uh, dark. And by the way, if that man is found in the middle of the night in somebody else's tent, he probably had the wrong motivation. Now, during the day though, uh, it is not for you to take it upon yourself. When you see the man, you know the man, to take it upon yourself to kill him because he has stolen from you. You ought to take him to the judges. So again... He says, the judges are to use discernment in those different scenarios. You see, he mentions at the end of verse 3, for he gives the reason why there's a difference between night and day. Verse 3, for he, if it's during the day, for he should make full restitution if he have nothing, then he shall be sold for his staff. Now remember, I talked about chapter 21. Is, that is one of the ways people became slaves in the nation of Israel. If a man stole from another man, and he had no way to restore what was the rest, fourfold, then he was to be sold as a slave. All the slavery was was paying an indebtedness. Something that he owed. He couldn't pay it. He didn't have, let's say, an extra four sheep. But if he stole a sheep the sheep dies, and he doesn't have another four sheep, then that uh, man, because of his transgression, has to make restitution, but he has nothing. He becomes a slave. The slavery there is not the idea that we think about it today, selling people indiscriminately of where they are and who they are and all those things. No, it's somebody who had an indebtedness that they had to pay, and they would do that for seven years. There's a limit time on that, for restitution to be made in those cases. And so, uh, those are the scenarios. In verse 4, he says, If the theft be certainly found in his hand alive, whether it be ox or ass or sheep, he shall restore double. Now, remember, this is in contrast with verse 1 that says if he stole ox or sheep and it die and he kill it, then fourfold. But here he says, If it is found alive, that means it's returned to you, then he will pay... Double, And so, in this case, the ox or the sheep is found alive, unlike the ox or the sheep uh, that has been killed in verse 1. If the stolen ox or sheep be returned to the owner alive, the restitution should be double. And so, here's what, what that looks like. The owner would receive an additional two sheep. If a sheep was stolen from him, and we found out who it was, when the sheep was returned, he had to return two more sheep with it. Double what the value of that sheep was, so two sheep. So now he would, uh, the the original owner that was stolen from, would have three sheep. So that's the consequences. In other words, you know, we, we have a society today that um, just kind of uh, there's no severe consequences for the pun- as as a punishment. In other words, people try to make things equal. And people truly don't feel the pain for the crimes in our society today. They really don't. At least uh, as we see the laws change in our society, it's uh, becoming more and more geared to promote the offender rather than the one who's been offended or who's been stolen from or who's been injured. Any society that prioritizes the soft uh, punishment is not a good remedy for society. And that society, by the way, will decline as we see in our own nation. It will continue to decline as long as those who are in power seek to minimize the crime. And so God does not treat crime like that. There, there must be restitution. And, and by the way, it's something when we teach our children, we, 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 we ought to teach our children the same things. You know, um, When we think about teaching our children, it is not the item that is to be emphasized. It's the spirit of what is taking place that ought to be emphasized and dealt with. Right? In other words, if, uh, if you have a child and your child takes away from another child and Laura steals a toy that belongs to them and, uh, and takes it from them, and, says, and if all you do is say, oh no, give it back, it's, it belongs to them. And you put it back and in in, that's it then I think the child might not sense the importance of, of such a transgression. And again, I'm not advocating for harshness, but it's imperative for parents to explain that there are consequences. According to God, God deems an offense a far greater uh, punishment than the actual crime that's been committed. And so you discern how you deal with your children, but it's important to teach our children... The importance of how they're acting and what they're doing. And by the way, I'm experienced with this. We grew up and we were missionary kids, and so we traveled on deputation. And my dad also, I would say this we go to some, if we stayed in somebody's house, we're about to leave the house, we stand at the back door, and my dad would always say this, it would always embarrass us. My dad would say, All right, empty your pockets. And here are four boys, we'd have to go like this. And sometimes there is toys in them. And he says, well, that's not yours. You have to leave it there. And so he did that every time. Well, after a while, we caught on. And so we stopped stealing. We didn't want the public humiliation. And so uh, we see the the consequences here are greater uh, than the offense. Uh, He goes on as he continues in those scenarios. He says in verse 5, If a man shall cause a field or vineyard to be eaten and shall put in his beast and shall feed in another man's field. So here, notice, this, I might call it uh, adding, this is stealing by proxy. Uh, In other words, while the owner himself is not stealing from the vineyard or from the field, he brought his ox to the field to eat the man's field. So he's himself is not stealing. His beast is stealing. But he himself is not. That's stealing by proxy. You brought your beast there, and so you're stealing, right? So, well, I didn't do anything. No, 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 you did do something. Why is that stealing? Well, because you refuse to feed your beast with your own resources, and you're feeding your beast with somebody else's resources. That is stealing. I don't want to get too into too much details, but uh, one of the problems... Today and this is not political, this is biblical, but with wealth redistribution, is that all it is practically is stealing from people that have to give to people that don't. It's stealing by proxy. It's stealing by proxy. Somebody works hard, and uh, they faithfully provide for their home, for, for their own, and the government steps in and says, well, that's not fair, that somebody else doesn't have as much money as you do, and so we're going to take from the person that works hard and give it over here to somebody that has less. And let me just say, that's stealing by proxy, right? Uh, the church is to be benevolent in its giving. The church of its own free will. The people in the church give to those in need. We don't say that people don't have needs. We say that we do provide for those who are needs. We help for those who are struggling. But no one should step in and force anybody to give. Then it becomes involuntary. And when it's involuntary, it's stealing. It's stealing. And so, notice the consequence. He says... Of the best of his own field, and of the best of his own vineyard, shall he make restitution. So, this is what would you, if you would bring an ox to your neighbor's field, you would bring him to the edge of the field, right? You're not going to stand in the middle when you're feeding your beast. You're going to put him on the edge, and typically the edges of the field is where the crops are not as good. Uh, Remember, it was all the corners of a field were to be left for those who were poor. Uh, It was to provide for the needs of those who lacked but this is a man who has a beast. And so he says that if you stolen from that man through your beast, when you make restitution, you have to take your crops from the middle of the field, not the edge. You're going to take from the best of what you have, even though you fed your beast the worse of his field. Because you're going to feel the pain, your restitution will be greater than the crime committed. He goes on to say in verse 6, he says if fire break out and catch in thorns so that the stacks of corn or the standing corn or the field be consumed therewith. Uh, He that kindled the fire shall surely make restitution. Now again, the whole context here is stealing. So I think here somebody was intended on stealing and here it's the stealing not by proxy but it's it's stealing by robbing but yet not taking it for yourself. Uh, That's the attitude of, well I don't have it, I don't want them to have it. And just because you burn their field doesn't mean you're not stealing. You are stealing because that's what rightfully belongs to them. Who grew the crops? God did. God entrusted to them those crops to take care of and you burn it up, you're stealing. You're stealing what God has given them. That's a serious thing. Uh, Notice what he says. He shall surely make restitution. The one who kindled the fire. Verse 7, he says, If a man shall deliver unto his neighbor money or stuff to keep, and it be stolen out of the man's house, if the thief be found, let him pay double. So uh, here he mentions that stealing possessions while they have been entrusted. So let's say you entrust your possession to somebody, and while that person is holding those possessions, somebody comes along and steals the stuff from the man to whom you've committed them, when the thief is found, he's going to pay double. That's what he says. Now, he expands and gives branches out in verse 8, and he says, If the thief be not found, then the master of the house shall be brought unto the judges to see whether he hath put his hand unto his neighbor's goods. Ooh, so... (laughs) It could be, it could be that the man you entrusted uh, your stuff to said that somebody robbed him, but nobody robbed him. We might say he embezzled the stuff, pretending that somebody else took the stuff. And so if no thief be found in this case, it says, the master of the house may be brought to the judge and may be questioned over suspicion of embezzlement. And so he has to be, that's that's a possibility. Uh, right? He says, well, oops, I, well, it's not my fault. Somebody stole it. I know it was my, my possession, but I didn't do harm to your possessions. Well, we can't find the thief. Well, maybe you did it. Okay, well, if that's the accusation, then he should be examined before the judges. Uh, that's what he says, notice, as he talks about in verse 8, He's brought unto the judges to see whether he have put his hand unto his neighbor's goods. And so there's going to be an examination that needs to take place. It's an accusation. You don't really know whether he did it or not, but it has to be examined if the possessions are not found. Verse 9 For all manner of trespass, whether it be for ox, for ass, for sheep, for raiment, or for any matter of lost thing, which another challengeth to be his, the cause of both parties shall come before the judges and whom the judges shall condemn, he shall pay double unto his neighbor. Okay, so someone can claim that he entrusted his possession to another man, but he didn't. See, another, somebody can do that. says, so I had, let's keep going with the theme of the ox and the sheep, but let's say I had 10 ox, and I entrusted them to my neighbor, and he said somebody stole them. Or, uh, or I say that uh, he stole them from me. Well, how can you prove that he stole them from you? And he sold them for meat, and now they're gone. See, somebody can make that accusation. By the way, it's, it's interesting that we have this all, all in our society. Everybody sues everybody for everything. For everything and nothing. Accusations. If you notice here, if somebody accuses somebody else falsely, notice the restitution. If you are lying about that accusation, you pay double. So let's say you said that your neighbor stole 10 oxen that you committed to his trust, and you didn't commit to him anything. You know what you're going to do? You're going to give him 20 ox. That's what he says. By the way, that would work really well. Today, when there's false accusation, and it says, well, uh, I'm accusing you of doing this, and so you owe me 20,000 or you owe me a million dollars. That's what you sue them for? You've stolen from me a million dollars? Well, according to the law in Israel, then if you lied about it, then you owe your neighbor 2 million dollars. That's what God says here. Restitution is greater than uh, the accusation. Uh, he goes on to say that the other hand, the, the other can claim that he was never entrusted with anything. And he yet used it for his own profit. So he says vice versa, when they come before the judge in verse 9, he says he's going to judge between the two parties and when he condemns, there's going to be restitution and whoever is condemned, the restitution will be double. Why? Because in this case, whichever one it is, one of them is lying. One of them is lying about stealing. That's two sins. So double restitution. In other words, If at the end of the court session, he says, well, you know what? I I did steal it from him, and I'm sorry. I'll return the 10 oxen. Sorry. You owe him 20 now. Because you can't lie. You can't steal. Then you can't lie about stealing. Uh, Greater are the consequences. Verse 10 and 11, he says, If a man deliver unto his neighbor an ass, or an oxen, or a sheep, or any beast to keep, and it die, or be hurt, or driven away, no man seeing it. Then shall an oath of the Lord be between them both that he hath not put his hand on his neighbor's goods, and the owner of it shall accept thereof, and he shall make and he shall not make it good. I think just like last time, here's an opportunity that he says there's an opportunity for mercy. Let's say you entrusted uh, an ox here. He says he uses um, an ass, an ox, verse ten, a sheep or a beast to keep and die or be hurt or be driven away, and nobody saw it, well, under the law, you would have to make restitution, but there is a room for mercy. Now, if that's the case, then the one who lost, he is the one that has to be willing to exercise mercy towards his fellow man. He has to... In other words, trust his word. He has to believe him. And by the way, there are those scenarios in life where somebody can maybe lose here in this case an ox or a sheep that was entrusted to him and he didn't steal it. Nobody took it from him, but maybe it got lost. And well, what do you do? Well, I'm sorry. And maybe he can't pay restitution. Well, the neighbor has the option here to say, well, I'll be merciful. We'll just make an oath and make this agreement. Now, the reason why they, made, they had to make an oath with that is because the man who lost could not come around later, a few months later, and says, I changed my mind. You owe me that. You owe me now the fourfold for the sheep. In other words, if you exercised mercy, you could not go back on your mercy. You couldn't say, well, I forgive you, and then, well, now I don't forgive you. I want it back. <laughs> uh, you couldn't do that. So that's why you had to make an oath. Verse 12, he says, And if it be stolen from him, he shall make restitution unto the owner thereof. And so if it be stolen while in your possession, restitution is demanded. Now the reason is because you've been entrusted with it. Verse 13, If it be torn in pieces, then let him bring it for witness, and he shall not make good that which was torn. Here's another scenario. Let's say somebody entrusted to you an ox Bear came along, devoured the beast. Well, can't really help that. Um, Now, you would have to bring the proof. Well, how do you bring the proof? Well, you have to bring the carcass. Prove it, that it was devoured by a beast. You can't say, well, it died and I left it out there in the field. No, you have to bring the proof. If you bring the proof, then you don't owe your neighbor. Okay, because that is not let's say a bear comes, a wild beast comes and pursues a sheep or an ox and so on, uh, then, uh, I mean, that's the laws of nature and you may incur a loss, but you could have incurred a loss just like he could have incurred a loss. And so uh, you ought to discern. So do, do you notice here those judgments, it's not just across the board. Uh, he says you have to use judgment. <laughs> you have to discern in each situation in case. And here again, you can't put forth every scenario, but those can provide us a guide and some principles to abide by, as he tells them, to be able to judge between the people. So verse 14 he says, And if a man borrow aught for his neighbor, of his neighbor, and it be hurt or die, the owner thereof being not with it, he shall surely make it good. So let's say you borrowed. Now he uses the word borrow. Uh, it seems that maybe for an ox, hey, I need an ox to plow my field. Would you lend me your ox to plow the field? And your neighbor says, "Okay, that's that's fine, you can you can plow the field." And he he says if your ox dies or is stolen or whatever, then you have to make it good. You have to pay for the ox because you borrowed the ox. He he lent it to you. But then there's the other scenario, verse 15. But if the owner thereof be with it, he shall not make it good if it be an hired thing. It came from his hire. Okay, so here he says, now, let's say your neighbor says, hey, could, could I have an ox to plow the field? And your neighbor, and you said, okay, well, uh, give me five shekels of silver and then I'll let you plow the field with the ox. And so if your neighbor paid you a prize to borrow the ox, he paid a price for the ox. So that if the ox dies, he already paid a price for it. That's what happens in life. Uh, it it can't happen that an ox dies. And there's many ways that that can happen. And so he says in that case, he doesn't have to bring restitution. So you say, all right, what do we do with all this information? That's a good question. I think what we learn here is that God wants us to be careful in our dealings with people. And really God is showing us here that you can steal in more ways than one, but yet at the very same time, you can't just be blatant about the matter. Because if you do incur a loss, in certain circumstances, you are not owed a restitution in certain circumstances. Sometimes you are owed a restitution in certain cases. She said, okay, well, pastor, what if the man who borrowed the ox and paid, let's say, five pieces of silver to plow the field, and he plowed the field, the ox dies, and he knows that because he paid a price for it, that he owes nothing to his neighbor. It would have been allowed, by the way, for that man who hired the ox to plow his field to say, you know what, I'll make it right out. I will give you the difference. I gave you five pieces of silver. I'll give you the difference for, let's say, the price of an ox was 20 pieces of silver. Then he would say, I'll give you 20, the, the difference. I'll get you 15 pieces of silver for the price of the ox. These scenarios are to be exercised exclusively before the judges. People between themselves can make things right. The reason why I say this is because when we come to the New Testament when Paul writes to the church at Corinth he says some of you are taking each other before judges. You're suing each other as believers and he tells them you should not be doing that. So there is a place where we have to exercise judgment in our own lives. I won't tell uh, which one of my child did this, but the child knows. But just for sake of illustration, uh, we had some neighbors down the street who were uh, repaving a sidewalk, steps, and a driveway. And there was two houses side by side. And so they had repaved it, and then a few days later after it was paved, and they were going to come back later and do some touch-ups, the neighbor came to me and knocked on my door And uh, said, uh, Do you have a child by this name or by these initials? And I said, Yes, I do. And they said that that child carved their initials in the fresh poured concrete. So, you know, in that moment I thought, You reap what you sow. Because I remember being a child and, well, people remind me that I was a destroyer <laughs> of property. So I don't remember exactly like that, but that's what people say. Um, but, you know, I didn't, I didn't shrug it off and say, ah, get over it. It's just the initials. So the next day we had to go and I go with go my child. We had to go to the neighbor's house. And my child had to say to the neighbor, I told, the child says, all right, you're going to tell them what you did. You're going to say you did it. You're going to ask for forgiveness. And you're going to tell them you're going to pay for it. If, it needs, if it, it's going to be paid, if they need to pay to get fixed, to restore what it was, then you're going to tell them that you're going to pay for it. I'll pay for it. But I'll make you work so you can take money from me so that you can pay for it. <laughs> uh, consequences. The man was very gracious. He said, I'll take care of it. And I left that day and I told my child, I said, I want you to know that that man was very gracious and very merciful. Very gracious and merciful. And we are to judge, but we ought to achieve a balance in our lives. And I think we find this in those judgments. That we are judges in and of ourselves. We judge everything that comes in our lives. And we have to balance in our lives making the right judgments. But at the same time, we have to combine it with mercy. And, and that takes discernment from God. We have to make judgments, but we also have to combine it with mercy. And I believe that when we find those two combinations, in other words, what I'm saying is, if those are not found in combination, you're going to err on either side. If somebody's always judging, 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 and there's no mercy, then you're going to be a pretty terrible person to be around. But if all you do is be merciful all the time, mercy, 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 and nobody has consequences, then that's not good either. And the Christian ought to learn to operate by a combination of both judgment and mercy. You can think about somebody's life and you can say, look at that person's life. They're messed up and you make a judgment. But then maybe the next step you can say is maybe ought to pray for them. And maybe you show kindness and mercy towards that person whose life has been negatively affected by their life decision decisions so there is no for the christian there is no combination of scenarios that god can put in his word to say here is these scenarios where you need to be a judge and when you need to be merciful i think that the spirit of the christian ought to be that we combine both which brings us to the theme <laughs> grace and truth is what jesus christ embodied And we who are striving to be like Christ must also embody the same spirit. The same spirit. So, parents, for your children, there are times when you chastise your children, when you reprove your children, and that's good. And you ought to do that. They ought to feel consequence for wrongdoing. And by the way, I look back at my childhood, I am very grateful for the father and mother that I had that brought me the way they did. But it wasn't just punishment And all those things. I remember some times of mercy. Some times of mercy. I'll give you one example and I'll be done. I don't know if I shared this story before. My brother, he doesn't mind saying this because he knows. My brother Jeremy was the wildest of the four boys. Um... For a while, I thought, there's got to be something wrong with him. I mean, he, he, he just loves getting in trouble. It seems that he just loves it. He just wants more of it. He, he, when he was young, maybe I shouldn't go on and on with my brother. No, I will. He would go on. When he was young, you know, those younger years, he would get up in the middle of the night, walk to my dad and mom's um, room, and then my dad would take him and says go back to bed, and he would take him back to bed, and he would get up again, and he would go back to the room, and he would do this all night Well, as he grew up, you know, he, uh, he'll admit himself, he was a difficult, we all were, but he was, he was the chief of us all. (laughs) But uh, I believe when he was 15 or 16, um, you know, by that time, you probably shouldn't need to spank your children by that age, at least I don't think so. They should be mature enough to not need those things. You could probably converse with them at that point. Um, but my dad says, "Look, I, I've uh, I've tra- I've raised you my whole life, and he had done something. I don't know what he was." And my dad said, uh, "You know, I, I just I'm just tired. I've prayed for you, I've corrected you, and you just." My dad said, "I've uh, I've messed up. I think it's clear that I've been a bad father, and so when My brother. Had done the wrong thing. My dad, he says, gave the paddle to my brother, and he says, You know, I have been a failure as a father, so you're going to spank me. Now, how many of your parents have ever done that? <laughs> I, I told my dad, I said, You did what? So you never let me do that. <laughs> and uh, un- un- unbelievably, my brother did take the paddle. And my dad said, all right, so you're going you're to spank me. I can't believe he did that. He spanked my dad the first time. And then I said, my dad said, harder. Spanked him again. My dad said, harder. Finally, my brother broke down and cried. And then my dad turned around and says, that's exactly what Jesus did for you. And that was the last time he ever needed to be corrected that way. All I'm saying to you here is that we have to discern in our lives when we are to judge and when we are to be merciful. And we have to have a combination of both. We must have a combination of both. The absence of one or the other makes us unstable.